0: Today on the Relationship Revival Show, we're talking to Michelle Maidenberg. Michelle has over 30 years of clinical experience and maintains a private practice in Harrison, New York. She's also the co-founder and clinical director of Through My Eyes, a nonprofit organization that offers free clinically guided videotaping to chronically medically ill individuals who want to leave video legacies for their children and loved ones. Michelle is an adjunct faculty at New York University teaching a graduate course in mindfulness practice. Michelle is the author of the book Free Your Child from Overeating, 53 Mind-Body Strategies for Lifelong Health, and has a new book out that we talk about on the show titled Ace Your Life, Unleash Your Best Self, and Live the Life You Want. She's a blogger for Psychology Today with over 1.3 million reads and recently did a TED Talk on circumventing emotional avoidance. She's been featured in more than 150 national and international media, including the New York Times, Cosmopolitan, Fitness. Ladies Home Journal, Men's Health, and Forbes. You're listening to the Relationship Revival Podcast with John DeBach, also known as Mr. Spirituality. That's me. I'm your host, giving you insights and guidance from over 10 years in the field of this amazing journey we call romance. On this show, I go over everything you need to know about how to get into a relationship, how to get the most out of a relationship, and sometimes even how to gracefully end a relationship without pulling your hair out and going crazy. And occasionally, I'm even joined by new and old friends who are also relationship experts to bring you guidance and wisdom with new perspectives. Thanks for For stopping by. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Okay. So, so, but yeah, as far as like its distribution, unless you use the YouTube video that's unlisted, it'll just stay hidden. (laughs) Okay. Sounds good. All right. Michelle Maidenberg, thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. I, um, I love when I have people on the program that have kind of different approaches and varied practice experience, and you do have a kind of a, whole bag of tricks that you work with in your own world. So it's kind of exciting to, I'm sure we'll dip our toe in different fields. I do want to start with uh, the title of your TED Talk, not to rehash it. I'm sure everybody can go online and watch it. But the the title of it was Circumventing Emotional Avoidance. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a, it's an interesting concept. A lot of people have never heard of emotional avoidance. So can we, first of all, talk about what that is, how that might affect and how that might affect a relationship, be it romantic or parent and child or whatever.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, it affects every relationship. I have to say that across the board. Mm -hmm. Um, The reason for that is because we're all emotionally avoidant to some extent, every single human on the planet. Uh Um, And it, it, it actually cuts across all race, religion, socioeconomic status, etc. cetera. Uh, the reason for that is because the way that our brain is wired or the physiology of our brain. And what I mean by that is it's wired really to protect us from discomfort and danger. And that happens day in and day out. So we're constantly in a protective mode and what happens essentially is when we're experiencing negative emotions, whether it be sadness or fear or anger, you know, whatever across the board is we tend to be avoidant because it's very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you think about how that trickles into relationships, if you're constantly chronically avoiding your emotions, that's not going to really bode well for a positive, like, you know, connection in a relationship.
0: Is there any other reason people avoid emotions other than it's uncomfortable?
1: Uh, some people don't really, I mean, some people, again, we're all wired differently, right? Yeah. So if you think about it on a spectrum, right, on a continuum, some people feel more comfortable and more connected. Like, so for example, I'm an empath. I consider mm-hmm. myself an empath.
0: What does that like mean? A Is that, yeah, yeah. Like a lot, exactly, a lot of
1: therapists. Yeah, like a lot of therapists. I really experience my emotions on a very intense level. So when somebody else experiences pain, I literally feel their pain. Mm-hmm.
0: You
1: know, it's, I literally feel and I could imagine in my mind what they're experiencing. Um, and, and I take that on. Right. And empaths tend to do that. So they tend to be, you know, more intense. You know, they tend to be more exhausted, you know, because they're experiencing emotions on such a like, you know, intense level. So it really depends. Some people just naturally are more cut off. You know, some people don't really have the language and know what emotions they're even experiencing because it's not a language they were taught growing up. Right. right? So, sometimes in your household, if you're feeling upset or disappointed, right, a parent would say, um, you know, stop feeling that way or, you know, think happy thoughts. You know, even right. yesterday, I, I mean, I'll give you such a great example. I got together with a friend yesterday. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I, I get like a very visceral, like response to is when people say, don't worry, be happy, you know, put on your smiley face, you know, and I actually expressed to this friend in the past, like when I'm upset, just, it really helps to just listen, you know, not yeah. make everything, you know, rainbows and cherries. So yesterday I said to her before we went out for lunch, I said, I'm not in the best headspace. You know, there's a lot going on for me. You know, I wanted to just let her know. Um, and the response I got back instinctly was, put on a happy face, you know, everything's going to be okay. And I was like, Oh, you didn't just say that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You
1: know, she, she has a really hard time tolerating, you know, intensity of emotion. It's just, that's just the way she, I
0: had a similar incident with my eight-year-old daughter Uh last night or the night before where you know, we have four kids and bedtime's really, it's chaotic. And she, something happened that I couldn't solve because it happened at school and she was really upset about it. And I started by saying, it's fine. It's in the past. And she's just like, no. And I, but something was like, I think I probably had a session earlier that day and I was like, maybe I just need to listen to her for a second. So I sat on the bed and I said, tell me what happened. And she explained the whole thing and she was still upset. And I said, oh, that's horrible. And then she followed me around the house for the next 20 minutes. Because she wanted more of that validation, more of that, you know, like, yes, it is bad. And she didn't, she didn't expect me to solve it. She didn't expect me, you know, but she just wanted someone to sit in that sadness with her, which I think is, I think a lot of men typically, you know, <laughs> men tend to be problem solvers. So, so it's, so it's like, you know, I, one of the first lessons I always teach people is when your wife is complaining, ask, is this something you want solved or you just want to talk about it for a bit? And that kind of fixes like 40% of the fights right off the bat. (laughs) So.
1: That's so true. And by the way, there's a lot of research done on resilience. And Mm -hmm. you know what they find
0: Mm -hmm. is
1: that there was like one person in the person's life that was just there to support them and listen to them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that's sometimes when we're upset, I know even myself, all I need is to be heard and I'm good after that. Like it doesn't, it doesn't need to be solved. That's not even, you know, an issue.
0: Well, I have, you know, so for me, and I want to hear more about you, but just because yeah. I think this might be interesting. So I, I'm, I always tell people I'm going to, one of these days, I'm going to write a book called my two grandparents because they were both Holocaust survivors. One talked about it all me the too. time. I yeah. Did. You too. So, so one talked about it all the time and one never talked about it. And what I, what I kind of figured out, and some of this is based in Viktor Frankl's work and other stuff, but what I figured out was, when you don't talk about things, it feels infinite. And the fact that when you can talk about it, it suddenly becomes manageable because it's just this. It's not your whole identity. There's an end to it. And so, you know, the more you can make it compartmentalized, sometimes I have clients write it down. But, you know, one of the grandparents took that pain and that unbearable, infinite horror to the grave. They never, they never got over it. And another one was able to talk about it with such candor. And it was like, that was the clarity for me. It was like there was, they were opposites and the effect it had on them was huge. And that's why I believe talk therapy and counseling actually works because it makes it manageable. So,
1: so I'm going to just add to that because my two sets of grandparents exactly parallel, you know, I had, Same exact thing. Like, literally, I had one grandmother um, who never spoke a word about it. And the other grandmother who I knew, I know every story, you know, was in the concentration camp. And she told me every story, every incident that happened to her that was, you know, meaningful. And it's so interesting because my grandfather, I I videotaped my grandparents Uh and I heard heard their stories. So one question I always asked them was, how did you survive this? Like, what like horrible atrocity and trauma, like how did you, and you know, my grandmother said, it was so interesting. She said to me, we knew that wasn't life. Like we had life before this happened Mm -hmm. and talking about compartmentalizing. And we knew that this was, this isn't life. This is just something horrible. That's happening to us. Right. That was really interesting. And then the, so when I was videotaping my grandparents, one set of grandparents, my grandfather had, you know, he had like beginning of like, um, uh, you know, dementia. So he wasn't quite coherent, but for some reason, the day that I went to videotape, he was lucid as can be. Oh, wow. And he never spoke about his history ever because he was really traumatized. He was the only one left out of his whole entire family. Yeah. And you know what he told me? And this, this goes back to what you said. He, he was telling me a story of when he came to the United States, he kept on dreaming about his mother. His mother died. You mm-hmm. know, she was sent to the gas chamber. But he kept on dreaming about her, kept on dreaming about her. And he would get really bereft and and sad and whatever. And he went to the rabbi and he said to the rabbi, I don't know what to do. I keep dreaming about my mother. It makes me so sad. So the rabbi looked at him and said, just take it out of your mind. Don't think about it. It's over. It's done with. Forget about it. Yeah. So like talking, talk about repressing feelings. Yeah. You know, and he did. He went to the grave, like he said, you know. And I, I, when he told me that I literally had tears running down my eyes Yeah. because the thought that he was repressing this for as long as he did. And he looked at me with like in, in the strange, and he said, like, he couldn't understand why I was getting upset. He's like, why, why are you getting upset? Like he didn't understand.
0: Right. Right. <laughs> but anyway,
1: right. the point we were making is, you know, it's really uncomfortable because like my grandfather, for example, right? Like he had all of these feelings around his grief and everything that he experienced, but he repressed it. Right. You know, and it it ends up spilling over.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's funny because like people are so desperate when they've gone through those kinds of traumas to find some way, any way to deal with the pain. And if the first person who tells them that they trust to bottle it up, guess what? There's your new life path. And there's and it's different in different cultures. I've had some British clients, and there's this great movie called Secrets and Lies that you know won an Oscar, where it was all about how everybody in that culture bottles things up and how a stiff upper lip is really, you know, lauded. And it's like it just tears people apart. Not everybody, some people learn how to live with it, but it really tears up families because the things that aren't said are are more painful.
1: Well, and and more importantly, they're acted out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when we're talking about circumventing emotional avoidance, like there's consequences. I mean, I think that's the point here. There's consequences to avoiding. And that comes out subliminally in our behavior, right? Because it has to go somewhere and it tends to stay in our unconscious and our subconscious. And then we enact You know, and we react and, you know, spill over into, I mean, mostly our relationships actually, because it's the thing that we trust the most or we feel the most comfortable with or whatever the case.
0: Right, right. We're not going to risk our job necessarily because we need that. But I could piss off my wife. That's that's probably she'll probably come back from that on a subconscious (laughs) level. Nobody's sitting there going, "I could probably do this," but you know, your body gets it. So, so how do you circumvent it? So, we've talked about what emotional avoidance is. I think pretty thoroughly. How do we get around it? How do we kind of break through that barrier?
1: My life's (laughs) work, and I I wrote I wrote a whole book on it. You know, the way that I broke it down is looking at acceptance, compassion, and empowerment. And that is the way actually to work through it. And that's
0: your acronym ACE, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. ACE is um, acceptance, compassion, empowerment. What I did in the book and, you know, what I teach skills to my, you know, the the patients that I work with is Mm -hmm. there's barriers to each, you know, there's barriers to fully being accepting of ourselves of, you know, actually, you know, having self-compassion, compassion compassion towards others and also Mm -hmm. empowering ourselves. Um, so I spent a whole chapter on each talking about the barriers because there's societal barriers. There's personal barriers. I mean, you know,
0: from Mm -hmm. here to,
1: um, and then again, how do we work through them? Um, you know, when we say acceptance, people get a little bit, um, unclear on what that is. Yeah. You know, because I fully accept myself. Does that mean that I'm going to leave a life of mediocrity? Right, And that's that's the fear that and conclusion that people come to. And that's not what we're actually saying. We're talking about just noticing. Accepting means noticing. Yeah. Okay. And acknowledging mm-hmm. and working with rather mm-hmm. against. Right. So if you're really working with, you need to fully acknowledge and you need to like, again, the avoidance, it's the opposite strategy. It's facing. It's right. It's facing, you know, firsthandedly. You know compassion the same thing we're not ever taught in you know across the board we're not taught to be self-compassionate we're actually taught the opposite in society mm-hmm. it's self-demanding self-demeaning yeah um, so everything around us in our culture uh, and even you know certain religions etc right it's all about productivity it's all about success you know that that's really in the western culture that's what we aspire to and empowering ourselves how do we maintain behaviors and habits that we want to sustain over a long period of time. That's where we all fall, falter. Like we know what we need to do, but we have a hard time maintaining it over a long period of time. Yeah. And that's true if you're trying, you know, whether it's like again losing weight or, you know, stopping a behavior that you, you know, like smoking or whatever the case is. You know, and when I do workshops sometimes, I'll ask people, for example, cuz I do a lot of work around health and wellness, and I'll ask them how long of, you know, how many of you have um, exercised at some period of your life and like all the hands will go up how many of you have maintained it over a long period of time all the hands are down yeah <laughs> you know so it, that's really hard for us as human beings you know to maintain behavior over a long period of time so i see it as a culmination and it's like when i was writing the book interestingly enough one of the things that, that I was having trouble with with the editors is they wanted to know what population this is going to be helpful for. And right. I said, no, this is a way of life. This is skills that we take throughout our lives. Kids, it's important for kids to learn this. Yeah. Right. And to follow it through through the rest of our lives and to like couch all of our decision making and our values, you yeah. know, because that's a big part of my book too. So um, there, I can't even give you a one word answer because there isn't a one. I wish there was.
0: Sure, sure. <laughs>
1: But we have to be aware when we're avoiding and we have to be willing to be in the discomfort and we have to be willing to challenge ourselves, especially when we're feeling uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. It's so interesting. So I, I rely very heavily on Gottman when I'm practicing with couples. And one thing that always comes up is that there are two types of problems in a relationship, the ones you can solve and the ones you can't. And 60, according to his research in his, you know, love lab study, 69% of problems in a couple are not solvable. And so what's the first step to, or what's the approach on how to handle that? acceptance. That's the answer. And he walks mm-hmm. through what soothing is, which kind of lets you you know, understand that it's okay. And sitting in that discomfort and self-soothing versus partner soothing. And it's true. I mean, it's, and it's so funny because I had a new client in the first session and I said, well, that, that problem will probably never go away. And she wanted to cry. And I said, no, 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 this is empowering. And it's hard for people to understand how it's empowering. The analogy I use is if you want to be a pro basketball player and you're five foot two, You have to accept that either it's not going to happen, right? Or you're going to have to be better than everybody else in the league. And if you're willing to approach that challenge, then that's okay. But once you, most people say, okay, well, then I'm just not going to do it. It's like, okay, now you have the rest of your life to explore. That's empowering. And you don't waste (laughs) the time trying out for 17 years, you know, like Rudy or something in the movie, you know, like that's, you actually get to live your life now, (laughs) Well, and also you could look at other
1: strengths,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, that are a
1: little bit more peaceful That's right, too. Right. But yes, then you'll chronically be disappointed.
0: Yeah, for sure. You're just setting yourself up for misery after misery. I mean, some people, it seems like when you meet them, they, their hobby is worrying, right? Or their hobby is like figuring out another way to be miserable. And it's like, get out of the pattern, you know? <laughs> so interesting. Well, so so your book is connected to your TED Talk. You mentioned you videotaped your grandparents. That's I think very clearly cl- connected to your nonprofit through my eyes. So tell me a little bit about what the goal is, how that started and and where it is today.
1: my like labor love. <laughs> It's it through my eyes, which is T H R U because people always kind of get that one. But, um, so it offers free clinically guided videotaping for chronically medically ill individuals who want to leave a video legacy for their children and loved ones.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So the way that it started, because people always ask me like, what got you interested in that? And I, yeah. I had a six year old friend who had her second bout of breast cancer and she had a nine year old child. Um, And she was consulting with me because of my profession. She was consulting, uh, she wanted to do a videotape and she was consulting on what to talk about in the videotape. What ended up happening was she was going to a New York hospital. And, uh, you know, I did some research and found out that A, if you wanted to get it done, you had to ask somebody at the hospital. They would only do it in the hospital. And then also you would basically be speaking directly into the camera on your own. Um, and because of, and you had to pay an exorbitant amount of money. So because of all of those reasons, I just felt like it was completely egregious. I felt like, you know, somebody who's incurring, you know, illness should not have to incur another expense, number one. No, number two, it should be done in, in an environment, and a setting that they feel comfortable, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then I felt like they should be guided by by a, like a licensed mental health professional who could be supportive and caring, you know, through the process and that they could actually have questions. That are developmentally appropriate to, you know, whatever each ch- children or child that they're that they have. So I developed this nonprofit and I came up with over 200 questions and I customize the questions to each person based on what they want to talk about. Not everybody wants to talk about every topic, which is totally understandable. Um, and right now I'm going through a restructuring because originally we were going to people's homes and it was more local. So my dream, uh, my lifelong dream is to actually make it accessible and available to everyone around the country. And basically we would, um, charge a very, very minimal cost, which would offset the ability to be able to charge it for free to people who don't have means to pay for the video. Um, So it's kind of, it's a beautiful like message because you're basically giving back to others, which is also really wonderful. Um, and I have to tell you, I've done over 300 videotapes. It has been so incredibly meaningful, you know, for myself, for the families that I work with, for the individuals um, and, you know, therapeutic. I really have to say it's been so therapeutic and people always say to me like, oh my goodness, thank you. You know, they're so thankful because you know, they share aspects of their lives that are so personal and private um, and so meaningful to them that it's a therapeutic process that they go through. You know, it's like a life review with me. And Mm -hmm. I feel so honored and privileged that they, you know, they get the opportunity to share it with
0: me. So all long are these videos typically when you you make them?
1: Yeah, usually it's, I would say on the average from an hour and 15 minutes to two hours. You know, it it really, it, it totally depends on how verbal the person is you know, um, you know, how much they want to share of, you know, about their lives. The, the beautiful thing is I've been doing remotely, of course, since COVID.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I have like videotaped people in like rural, rural parts of the country. I, I just recently videotaped a woman who had seven children was like in a remote part of the country, like where they hardly have Wi-Fi, you know, and she would never have access to this ever. And of course I didn't charge her. She couldn't afford to to pay for it. So, I really want to make this accessible to everybody. You know, of course, funding's an issue. So, I have a platform, but I really need to get people on board, um, you know, so that I could actually offer this. So, right now, I'm really trying to find anybody who like is interested in this mission, who wants to partner, you know, anybody who in any way. I, I, it's, I have like no ego in this at all. I really, yeah. really like want to just be able to help people, you know, from my heart. So, I am open. <laughs> I really am.
0: I mean, I guess the biggest costs are the time of the of the professional to, to actually conduct no, it. What's the No, cost?
1: it is not because actually all the people that I had doing the videotaping did it on a voluntary basis.
0: So, what's the big like overhead yeah. cost like the the coordination? It's, it's
1: just the no, it's uh, marketing. Mhm. Because to get the message out for everybody mm-hmm. to know about it that's that's the a big big cost is marketing the second is the platform because it's it's electronic platform again i've i've already had somebody and i've paid with my own personal money i already had somebody construct it but in order to get it like working and out there you know we need i mean i know how much money we need and you know in the scheme of things it's not very much considering it's a non-profit you yeah. know um but you know we do need the funding yeah that's, for sure like,
0: Unbelievable work you're doing. I'm super uh, pumped. I mean, I, you know, as a grandchild of Holocaust survivors, I wish I, I recorded their legacy and my parents are getting up there. They're hopefully another 20 years or so, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I, you know, I, I, it's, it's got my wheels turning for sure. Um, I know you have your own website. I'm going to post all of your stuff in the show notes, but michellemadenberg.com is your main platform. Where can people find your book and more about your nonprofit and everything?
1: So Use Your Life, Unleash Your Best Self and Live the Life You Want is on all major bookstores. Um, the Just to let you know, the uh, hardcover book comes with a free ebook, uh, which is you know, a little good perk there. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a blog that I write with psychology today. So you could look me up. Um, It's under psychology. I have over 65 articles that I've written. Um, I also have a YouTube channel and I post weekly guided meditations. So you could actually, you know, if you subscribe, you could get weekly meditations. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I really I try my best to put myself out there, and I, I really write on a variety of different topics. It's not just I write on mindfulness because I teach a mindfulness based course at NYU in mm-hmm. the graduate program, so I do a lot of mindfulness work. But um, it's on so many different topics. I do a lot of advocacy work. I just wrote an article on you know uh, youth suicidality and fentanyl poisoning. Yeah, you know because I've just seen so many kids in my practice and people who are affected by it. So like I just felt like I really wanted to get the word out there because I you know, I've been confronting, unfortunately, so many people that don't know about it, which just boggles my mind.
0: Yeah. I see Um, billboards once in a while, but it's not exactly part of the, part of the conversation yet.
1: If I tell you, like, I see some young adults and and teens, they don't, they're like, oh yeah, we know about it. I'm like, what do you know about it? They don't know about it. It's, Mm -hmm. it's like, it's mind blowing. So, um, and they, and also, in all of my writing, I really try to back things up with research, Yeah, you know? So my articles really have a lot of research that back it up also. Um, and then I do a lot of like self-help, you know, I have a lot of articles on self-help and then a lot of, you know, precepts for my book, but, um, I have my hands in a lot of different hats.
0: Yeah. Sounds like (laughs) it. Well, I'll I'll, I'll be sure to put the link for your psychology today blog, uh, in the show notes as well. It's a longer link, but, um, I'm, I'm gonna dive into some of the articles myself, so I'm sure there's gonna be <laughs> some people who want to as well. If you're interested in learning how to get the absolute most out of your romantic relationships, then you're in luck because I have put together a free workshop or masterclass, if you will, about three secrets that people in happy relationships have discovered. You can view the workshop at mrspirituality.com slash three secrets. Again, it's completely free. Just go there and watch it. It'll help you on your journey, give you some wisdom, some things to think about. The website again is mrspirituality.com slash three secrets. That's mrspirituality.com slash the number three, the word secrets. It's all yours, enjoy.